0: Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully and today we have Lauren DePiro with us and this is a really exciting uh, guest that we have on because I taught Lauren at Ursuline Academy in Wilmington, Delaware and she is now a teacher. She teaches English um, in middle school at a private school in Pennsylvania. So welcome Lauren for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm just really excited to talk about teaching with you and especially since you're one of my teachers. So it's awesome.
0: This is really fun. Um, and this is kind of like a big theme of my season two is this, um, I talk about the ripple effects. So this idea of like, you know, you have students that maybe then are inspired and it doesn't necessarily be from me, but then go on to to be teachers. I love seeing former students go into the education world. So it's really exciting. Um, so with that, my first question is what inspired you to become a teacher?
1: So I have a lot of great teachers in my life. Obviously, you're one of them from the past. And I, my mom was a teacher. Mm. Um, She taught fourth grade and fifth grade. So I would love to say that just all of those influences in my life like made me want to be a teacher. But I actually think for most of my teenage years and just early life, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I always really liked school, but pretty much every subject I found really interesting. Um, And I knew that writing and basically just looking at literature and reading, that those are really fun things for me, but I wasn't sure um, what that would lead me to do, or if it would even be part of my career. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in college, when I eventually landed on studying English, and I still wasn't sure what to do with it, I had a couple of experiences with interning that were so cool. Um, they were sort of editorial based. So one was at a magazine, one was for like a marketing company. Um, and I had so much fun, but I remember ending those summers and thinking like, that was a lot of fun, but I don't think that I can spend 40 years doing that and mm-hmm. there was nothing wrong with it like I, I was writing a lot of blogs about like entertaining things like house decor or like brunch spots locally which was really cool and I was using writing but it just wasn't like hitting the mark for me so I think after a lot of just reflecting on what I wanted and how I wanted to feel at the end of a work day um I started thinking about like roles that I had loved. Um, And I kept kind of going back to um, being a swim coach when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. and just helping um, kind of all ages, but just with their skills and, you know, motivating them and talking them to get them through challenges they were having with either swimming or just life. Um, And then in college, I was an orientation counselor and I felt Really fulfilled doing that because I was helping pe- people just feel comfortable. Um, so, just looking at those roles that I had and that feeling I got of like, this makes me feel a sense of purpose and I feel like I'm doing something impactful, I think that let me know that I was moving in the right direction. Um, not that I knew exactly what it would look like, but I felt like, oh, if I have these skills that I like with English and I love, mentorship and you know, coaching and working and growing alongside people, um, this might be really good for me. And so far it has been.
0: That's wonderful. And I think this is really inspiring for a lot of like young people in general, not even if they just want to go into teaching, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we think by 18, we should know exactly <laughs> what we want to do. I mean, yeah. you were in my psychology class. Your brain is still <laughs> developing until your mid-20s. So you're mm-hmm. still a developing, but you're still finding yourself and it, it's okay to try a bunch of things on. So I like this story of, well, I did these blogs and I was writing really cool things about, you know, local entertainment and food and whatnot. And you did some soul searching with that to feel like, well, is that something that will be fulfilling at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And you went back to your coaching and you went back to something where you focused on the feeling. I like that part. Cause I think, mm-hmm. again, this is a really good, you know, um advice for young people is that go back to like, what feels kind of authentic to you? Like what feels like I can do something bigger than just like a job and a salary, right? Um, yes, yeah. And maybe not everyone's searching for that. That's okay too. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a, a part that comes to you later in life. At some point it does come to people. You know, I know- right teachers who left the corporate world and then they went into teaching in their thirties or even forties because they're just like, I need to do something more. And Mm -hmm. you had this epiphany while you were, you know, was this between your undergrad and grad school? And then you went back for grad school for education.
1: It was probably, I want to say fall of my senior year of college. And then I decided to do that education masters. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you described it perfectly. And I know a lot of people in my life who are wonderful people um, and we just have different perspectives. Like they look at their job as um, just a way of kind of like supporting themselves and being able to support a family. And it's just one part of their life and they might find their purpose in other ways, Mm -hmm. um, which is like totally fine. I totally respect it. But for me, I knew that if I was gonna be somewhere all day I had to feel that like deeper purpose yeah um absolutely. as much as I almost like wished that I didn't want that because <laughs> of the because of the whole salary thing I was like yeah, oh yeah. I kind of wish I wasn't feeling pulled in this way so I did have some resistance but
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm glad that I kind of followed that feeling
0: <laughs> yeah and we'll get into this your next the next two questions that are kind of combined together especially having resistance when you're like, and the pandemic is just beginning and I have this calling to teach and it's going to be really (laughs) difficult. Um, yeah. And you're, that was really well said, like, it's okay for people to have different goals or to have different sense of purpose, but I'm Mm -hmm. like right there with you, Lauren, like I knew, I knew in high school, but it really hit me when I did my student teaching that, because sometimes student teaching is where people are like, nope, this is not for me. Yeah. And then they completely change it. And that's where it kind of like sank in deeper that, oh, no, this is something I want to do. Because I looked at like that eight, nine hour, 40, 50 hour work week. And I'm like, that's pretty much a good chunk of your life. And even yeah. if you don't, don't do it for the rest of your life for like a good portion of it, you're giving your your heart and soul to something. So I I wanted that same feeling too mm-hmm. and to feel purposeful and not just like, yes, I have a good lifestyle. And then I do all these other hobbies, which again, that's great too. And yeah. we'll come back around to that when we talk about education reform and ideas for that, because I do see us being in a moment where I think salary is going to dramatically increase into the future. Might not happen like next <laughs> year or the next couple of years, but in your generation, like your generation mm-hmm. of teachers. Um, we'll see that whereas like I haven't seen a lot of movement since I've been in it because Mm -hmm. now there is this push and call for that because there are teachers that are leaving the profession and you just also have so many um, baby boomers retiring so like that combined with like people leaving out of the pandemic they're gonna have to do that they'll have to address Mm -hmm. the salary issue and keep up with um, inflation (laughs) and everything yeah yeah (laughs) So your early teaching experience, which is usually my next question, is also paired with Mm -hmm. uh, the pandemic. So if you can talk a little bit about coming into this new profession as a new teacher during the height of the pandemic, what that looked like at your school, any maybe stories or challenges or even aha moments and lessons learned that you'd like to share? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so it was really interesting because I started my grad program totally online in summer 2020 and then part of our fall semester was to do observations that's really when I got to see a school in action during COVID Um, so I remember kind of getting a little tour from someone who worked in admissions and I had been to the campus before but just getting like another tour Um, but then when I actually showed up for that first day school was totally nothing like it was when I was in high school it was just very I felt like it was very isolating and they were doing their best they were absolutely doing their best but every single grade in the school had a home base so every morning they would the students would go to that home base and I was set up with um, ninth grade so the ninth grade students I think they had a health sort of screening when they would come in or their parents would fill it out before school um they would go up to the door and if they had their health screening they would get a wristband which was showing like they were good um obviously they had masks on and everything um but then they would go into this home base and for the freshmen it was like a big gym and had a bunch of round tables that had spaced out Um, chairs. And I think for a little bit for attendance, something they tried was like the kids scanning a QR code on the table to show that they were there. Um, But really everyone was spaced out. Every time they got up, they were supposed to spray down the table, wipe it down. Um, And then sort of as time went on and I was shadowing different teachers classes, because at that time I wasn't really teaching. I was mostly observing sometimes they would have maybe seven kids in a classroom and they would be talking to them, but they would also have Google meet up and they would be teaching students who were in the um, home base, but also Mm -hmm. students who were at home. Um, So they were kind of looking in every direction. Um, And I could tell most of them got good at it really quickly, which I thought was impressive that they were kind of watching the kids online watching the kids in person but really they were planning almost two lessons at a time Mm -hmm. because they had to have something virtual um something more hybrid and then something that was accessible in person um so that was honestly really intimidating to watch and then know that in a couple months I was going to be trying it out yeah um yeah. And I actually, before I did my student teaching portion, of my spring semester, there was a teacher who's a good friend of mine, but she was having a health issue and she had to take a month away from school. So the school asked me to essentially be her long-term sub, even though it was mm-hmm. only a month. So I was actually on my own before I was with another teacher, um, which was kind of crazy wow. <laughs> Yeah, because I was just kind of thrown in. I remember I had like two days to prep for it and I was reading all the material trying to come up with some lessons um and it was really challenging like basically just making sure kids were engaged Mm -hmm. um so trying to plan my lessons so that it wasn't boring without students being able to like interact with each other um and also just holding them accountable was challenging but I think more than that beyond the lesson aspect, because I felt like since I was in grad school during COVID times, that's how we were learning to plan anyway.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But sort of the social, emotional pieces of all of it were really difficult. Like I, I remember kids joking about COVID and saying it was fake and Mm -hmm. having to address that when I I actually had known a student in the room lost his father to COVID. So being like, fresh out of college and having to navigate that Mm -hmm. guys I understand maybe you are joking about this because I mean maybe not trying to be mean but it really has affected people Mm -hmm. um that was Mm -hmm. something I didn't expect going right into so early in my teaching career I was thinking already
0: having very hard conversations Yeah.
1: yeah yeah and kids didn't know how to I think how to not joke about it and like take it seriously but also yeah. keep themselves afloat so i understand mm-hmm. um but i think that was the hardest part was um just navigating that
0: piece of it yeah and being like thrown like you talk about teachers mm-hmm. being thrown in their first year you're still like i'm finishing grad school you know yeah. i was just getting ready to do my student teaching and now i'm like legit going to be a teacher for a month and you know, even mm-hmm. just listening to you talk about it and just the, you know, how I remember you as a student and how I see you today as a young adult, mm-hmm. you have such a grace and that really can carry you through really difficult times in any kind of job, but particularly teaching. And the grace that you have is just like, you know, we're just going to, we're going to go with it. We're going to do it. I'm going mm-hmm. to talk to these kids. Like, you know, it's very easy for someone to be very reactive to a comment like that. And just like, want to maybe make that kid feel shame and again mm-hmm. it's a natural maybe response especially if knowing someone also lost someone to COVID but mm-hmm. to have a conversation of like let's try to see these different perspectives and try to yeah. like do this in a place where we care about each other like we care about this classroom right and the people in it and we don't know where everyone's coming from and I get it like you're pre teenagers and this is hard to process. Like, this is hard to figure out, but to do that at such a young age and not fully even be done your, your program yet. I mean, that is, this is where I truly believe there are people who have this gift of teaching. Like you can be trained, you can learn it, but to have this natural ability of how to talk to kids and like how to carry yourself in mercurial situations that keep changing, takes a very special person. And I think like, again, even going back to how I knew you as a student, you have this center and you have like this grounding and this grace about you that I think has now carried you through a really difficult start to being a new teacher.
1: Oh, thank you. That is so nice. because I truly did not feel like, I had grace in any way, especially <laughs> at the beginning. Um, specifically, because I think a big part of it was I was really young. Like, I was barely, I think I turned 23 during mm-hmm. that first year. And it's an all boy environment, mm-hmm. um, which is something I had never obviously been exposed to before as someone who went to all girl school. I yeah. was literally <laughs> from four right um so I was dealing with this obvious perception from the students that I wasn't much older than them right um and also just this lack of exposure to young women um of my age at the time so I felt like I didn't really know my role I was like I feel like an older sister or like maybe I'm not being taken seriously. And I felt weird talking to them like kids, but also couldn't talk to them like adults. Um, so I felt a little bit awkward a lot of the time, um, but it's so nice of you to say yeah. that I sounded like I had some grace there.
0: Well, what you're feeling <laughs> and you had a more of a challenge not only with COVID, but an all boys school too. But I, I started teaching when I was 23 um, my first long-term substitute position and it was at a public school. And so it was, you know, mixed gender, but they uh, right away were like, okay, let's throw the 23 year old into a senior class. And it was like a, a class you had to take. Like there was this um, you had to take government and there was different levels. And like, again, not like saying anything about the levels, but obviously like if you were in the honors level, you wanted to be in the honors level. So right. I had the the CP level. That's like, you have to take this class. You just have to be here, so you're just in this level. And they yeah. were seniors, and I'm like 23, and I'm like, I have no authority at all. <laughs> like I, have yeah. no one is respecting me. And the first semester, because I would switch and then have like new new students, the first semester with that group was totally different than the second semester. Like I definitely had some growing pains and learned and grew, but that first couple months, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my goodness, like. Yeah. This is going to be rough.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Um, I remember observing a senior class like that first year and the teacher said that I went to Villanova and a kid in the class was like, oh, like, do you know so-and-so? And I was pretty sure I knew the name, but i was yeah. like, I'm not saying that. He's <laughs> friends with this kid and I'm just going to feel like a child. Um, right, okay. So it is like really odd. Um, but it is a little bit easier now that I have eighth graders and freshmen because there's more of a distance there and I also just think building some confidence is so helpful um, Mm -hmm. because kids really sense I think when you're feeling less confident
0: oh they do and they like to take advantage of it I mean that's Mm -hmm. just kids that's what they do so now coming into this new school year And you went through, you know, all of that experience. And now you can tell us a little bit about how school has been like this year. Like, um, I think when we were talking before, we had similar type of situation, like with our, because I'm at a private school as well. And we kind of Mm -hmm. um, don't really have protocol or anything anymore. Have you seen a big change in your experience from that beginning to this school year? And if there's anything you want to share about it?
1: Yeah, so school is pretty much. It looks like it did when I was in high school. Um, Kids are in their classrooms; they're not wearing masks. They're free to gather and have big events like their pep rallies, their sports games, their dances, all of that. Um, And I can just feel—you probably feel the same way—but I can feel the atmosphere and the energy Mm. um, is just more positive and lighter. Um, I think kids really, really missed being together, and in an authentic way and not having to think about restrictions um so coming onto campus this year I definitely felt more energized because the students were just happier um I also think I felt more confident because last year was my first actual year and I had sixth and seventh graders which was like very challenging just Mm. with behavioral stuff Mm -hmm. um
0: especially coming out of like hybrid and all of that yeah mm
1: -hmm. yeah because when kids are virtual obviously they can kind of act up but you can mute them and (laughs) like they can mute themselves (laughs) and it's all good but I remember last year my first in-person year um I was shocked by um the fact that classroom management was my goal and on my mind Way more than the content. Like I, I think in grad school I thought so much about how I was going to deliver the content, and even student teaching, I had all these cool activities, and I was like really diving in. And then last year, it was more of just like, okay, I've got to get them to pay attention. I've got to get them to buy in enough to mm-hmm. like sit down, um, and listen. And that was super challenging. Um, but this year. It's not like it's been totally easy. Like I have been warned by my teacher friends that the second year gets easier, (laughs) but it's not like perfect. So don't think you're totally messing up. Um, But I think I felt more confident in my teaching, not necessarily the lessons, because I felt confident in my content knowledge last year too. Mm -hmm. But I feel confident in how I communicate with the students and how I communicate with families um I think last year there was a lot of me just thinking to myself like well it's my first year I should I don't really know anything I should just listen to everyone else um and there were other totally well-meaning people at the school who would give me all this advice but sometimes it was contradicting the advice was contradicting others advice um and I would find myself like backpedaling like if I Let's say I gave a kid a consequence for something. I would find myself kind of being like, "Well, never mind. Like, we'll do something else." Or if I was going to communicate with a family, um, I found myself just like checking in with older colleagues and thinking, "Like, well, what do I say? Should I really reach out?" It was a lot of just like doubt and second guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, as much as some of those communication points can be awkward um especially just navigating like differences in um background and opinion and all of that gets really tied up with literature Mm -hmm. um and it's probably similar similar with social sciences as you would experience um i think that can be really intimidating Mm -hmm. um having those conversations with people when there are a lot of feelings that come with them um but now I'm getting more comfortable doing that and a little bit more confident in how I speak about those topics. Um, while also like not, I think I've been better at not taking it personally when I get pushback, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. from students or families, I think I've been better at just taking a step back.
0: (laughs) That takes time too, because Mm -hmm. I know, I mean, I even for myself, like, uh, for the first few years of teaching, I think I took a lot of things personally from, like, nice. and I taught middle school, my, my first um, time teaching, like after that long-term mm-hmm. stuff with the seniors. Um, then I was, when I was <laughs> in Hawaii, I taught middle school and I was seventh and eighth grade. And it was, it was a lot of classroom management. I mean, it was classroom management yeah. first and you had to have that down and then you could really go for the content and make really awesome mm-hmm. projects and lessons and whatnot. But it's a learning curve when you first start in middle school, middle school, regular. Now this is middle school coming out of COVID or coming out of hy- hybrid. Oh yeah. more challenging, but mm-hmm. I definitely would second guess myself a lot and feel same way, like constantly going to different colleagues and hearing different things as you move through like the first couple of years. And you're already kind of starting to like hone that now in your second year. It's kind of like following your intuition, like really mm-hmm. following your gut. Another reason why I get frustrated for like, oh, anyone can teach. I'm like, not necessarily. Again, you have so many different things you have to do on your feet and in the moment. And you have to like constantly juggle what is the right thing to do. Also, like, what do I think is right? Am I following my intuition? And like, what I really truly believe education should look like being a humanities teacher, you know, both yourself Mm -hmm. and myself, we're living in a very polarized time with content. You know, there are people having conversations and arguments about what are we teaching and how are we teaching it and like are we you know indoctrinating I can't stand when you yeah. hear that are you indoctrinating yeah. these students like no I'm literally <laughs> just teaching them the truth and about mm-hmm. like different perspectives and identities because that's a good thing to do um, mm-hmm. but yeah it is a challenging time politically as well to be a, a humanities teacher and so you have that as another challenge as well um, mm-hmm. but it's great to hear that you're already starting to feel confident in maybe not taking everything personally, maybe not second guessing as much. And that's just built over time. Do you have, cause I, I like to think of maybe, and this will kind of lead into our last question too, like what needs to change or what needs to improve in education, but mm-hmm. do you have a mentorship program at your school where you get a mentor teacher when you're a new teacher, or either your first year? for first couple of years, or I I guess like if your department chair is that kind of role as well?
1: So not formally, but I have two people in mind when I think about mentors. Um, One of them is the woman that I filled in for for a month when she was on medical leave. And then one of them is the woman who I was paired with when I was student teaching, which was actually with 11th graders. Um, And they- are so helpful to me and so special to me um they pretty much help me like constantly and they claim that I help them but I don't know how true <laughs> that is um we're always like bouncing ideas off yeah. of each other or I will kind of show one of them like if I get an email that I feel like I'm feeling reactive to mm-hmm. or if I'm trying to plan out um, some sort of project or lesson or even a rubric, um, sometimes I'll share it with them and say, like, hey, what do you think about this? Um, and one of them, we have really similar styles but she's helped me a lot with kind of simplifying, um, because I think, like, going into teaching, was like, oh my gosh, English is so broad, and I have to teach them all of the things like (laughs) all of the ways to analyze literature and all these writing techniques and all these literary devices but also grammar and vocab like this is a lot um and she's helped me kind of think like okay what is the point of this assignment like what is your goal Hmm. make like one or two and that's it she's like you can't you can't do everything that's crazy and then it's going to be so challenging um and then I think the other teacher who I'm thinking of just really helps me stay calm and she's so wise. She has a lot of teaching experience because she's, she's younger than my parents, but like she's been teaching for a good amount of time. Um, so she has so many resources, but she also just helps me kind of keep everything in perspective. Um, and just to stay calm, which I can be very like overreactive sometimes. (laughs) So they aren't my official mentors, but I would say I lean on them a lot.
0: That's great. And I think that is wonderful to have those types of colleagues to go to. I think uh, having a mentor, whether that is in a program that your school provides or finding that person in your department, sometimes it could be in another department as well, especially if you're just talking with mm-hmm. like pedagogy, like maybe in the humanities, um, yeah. that you can bounce off ideas and, and feel comfortable to be vulnerable and say, hey, can you give me this feedback on this? email or this rubric everybody needs someone to like have their back (laughs) because if you try to go in especially being a new teacher and not even just like new like a young teacher but if you're new to a a new school or even maybe a new subject or Mm -hmm. sometimes it could be an older teacher like an older person but they're coming to teaching for the first time I think it's great to find that support system um we do have a, like a, it's not really like mentorship, but it's an orientation program at my school. And then you get paired with another teacher that they like mm. to call super friends because we're a friend school. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's someone you can go to. It doesn't have to be in your department. My I am a super friend to someone in my department, but it could be interdepartmental. So it could just be questions about the school culture, about the school itself, activities, events going on. And it could be like pedagogy too. Um, But I think that's often when uh, teachers feel like there's a lot of things that we could talk about in this last part with like education reform and just what needs to change. But when people feel alone, like if they feel alone in a school, in their program, and they don't have a lot of support then it's really hard to do this job. Like you cannot do this job and be on an island. You just really, and that's why the pandemic was so hard because we were kind of like forced to be (laughs) alone and it was really hard to collaborate and get that advice, but you do need to have a support system. So I'm sure like these two teachers you go to, it makes a world of a difference, you know, Mm -hmm. in your day-to-day.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they also, I'm sure you've, similar experiences but a lot of times we'll talk about like our deeper purpose for teaching Mm -hmm. and sometimes like if I'm having a hard day or they're having a hard day like I think it's easy to kind of struggle and think like why am I working at this school or why Mm -hmm. why this job um but I remember sharing with both of them um just specifically because I don't know about your school but mine is pretty homogenous like it's basically um it's a very white school it's very wealthy it's obviously all male um and lots of like pretty conservative ideals um Mm. so for me I started kind of struggling with that when I started there because I was like am I helping anyone or really like would these kids be totally fine regardless Mm. um but I've shared with those teachers that for me like my purpose is that um maybe these are kids who wouldn't be exposed to stories of people with different experiences yeah. from their own, like at all. Um, because maybe they don't have to, not all of them, but like for many of them, they might just be able to kind of be in a bubble. Yeah. Um, so my challenge for myself is to get them thinking about others' experiences, even if they get a little, if they give me some pushback sometimes, or if yeah. they get uncomfortable or don't understand, um, I kind of feel like it's extra important for Mm -hmm. a school like that um, to have teachers who are willing to like push the kids to think about things other than their own lives. Um, So those teachers are really good at um, talking with me about that deeper purpose and kind of, I think, giving me a little reminder when, if it's just a stressful day.
0: That's wonderful. I think those conversations need to happen more often. And we lost it and everything was all about COVID protocol and technicalities. Mm -hmm. You know, the the reason I love education and been been in it so long is like you can have these like deeper conversations with people. Like you tend Mm -hmm. to work with people who are very introspective, who think about life, who think about, you know, development and how we develop not even just children, but as adults and like our whole life purpose. And so when you Mm -hmm. can go back to what am I really doing here? And that is a great perspective because easily people be like, yeah, I'm working at an affluent private school. It's all boys. Mm -hmm. They're all white. Like, so what am I like? Am I really helping like this generation of kids? But you're, that is a group that could easily have a teacher that's like, well, I'm just going to teach you the perspective you've always been taught and what you're, what you're used to because it's like easy Mm -hmm. and comfortable. And you're trying to challenge yourself and them, that which is only going to make them better individuals. And are they all going to get it? Probably not, but will some yeah. of them get it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm sure some of them are mm-hmm. going to come back to you when they're older and say, like, thank you for sharing with me these different perspectives because it helped me as a young adult. Like it helped me when I went to college and I was starting to meet people with different stories. And mm-hmm. if they didn't have that experience in the classroom and then they get to college or wherever workplace they're going to get bombarded, you know, with a lot of different, yeah. you know, perspectives that they're going to be like, whoa, 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 I'm not ready for this. Like, I don't know how to handle this. So that's a great way to think about it. And I, I've thought about that too, because I've taught in a title one school in Hawaii. It was a yes. poor immigrant community. I've taught in an affluent public school in my long-term mm-hmm. sub position in Pennsylvania. I've taught in a charter school in Philadelphia, and then I've taught in mm-hmm. independent schools and they're yeah. all vastly different. But at the end yeah. of the day, they are all kids. They are all teenagers. And I think the more we can help shape the way they see the world is you're doing good work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's always a good feeling to come back to that. Like they all do have something in common. It's all younger people and they have their differences, but it's important to reach as many of them as we can. So it's a good reminder.
0: Yeah. Uh, for our, my last question, my last part, I know you've only been mm-hmm. in education a couple of years, but you have gone through one of the most difficult times in education <laughs> as your first job and first experience. Um, so what do you envision or see as the areas in education that need to be changed, improved upon, how you like to see it move forward? What can we take away from going through the yeah. pandemic?
1: Yeah, so I think about this a lot, um, and because I think teachers will talk about um, how we can do better, or just how education can do better a lot. And I think one of the most important things that I think we could work on, and it could be my school, but I think it's a lot of schools. I think it's going to be really important to have stronger relationships between teachers and the people who are caring for students at home. Yeah. Um, because as you kind of touched on earlier, I think there's um, just a sense of distrust in sort of what we're teaching and a skepticism from a lot of students' families or whoever is taking care of them that can be really counterproductive when you're trying to reach kids um, in the classroom. So I think just I know this isn't technically like a policy reform, but I think if we can connect better with students' families, that it would make such a world of difference um, for students because they wouldn't feel um, like pressure from home to feel certain ways about different topics and then um, kind of feel closed off at school when they're learning. Um, I think that is really important. and then this doesn't apply so much to me, but I definitely have seen colleagues who are a little bit older than me. They have families. They're trying to send kids to college. And I've noticed that people in that position, um, a lot of them are feeling a little bit jaded about their jobs. And mm. they talk often about their salaries and you know paying for their kids to go through college. And I see those people work so hard every day. And then they go home and they feel kind of frustrated because they're mm-hmm. like, I need help my own kids. Um, so I think like we were talking about at the beginning, that's going to be really important um, because it it's people that are really good at their jobs who I <laughs> see feeling this way. Yeah. And I would hate for my students to lose them yeah. um, to another career. So that that would be really important. Uh, I think it would be really helpful.
0: Yeah. I think you, you nailed it with that. And especially, you know, reflecting on you're a younger person, you're in a different kind of economic situation now, Mm -hmm. but you're, you look at your life and you're like, I'm starting to really, you know, um, find my craft, you know, in this career. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's 10 years down the road, nothing changes with salary or doesn't feel like a, an income where, with inflation going up or when you have maybe kids and you're thinking about college, like, is it going to be sustainable? Like that's, what's happening with a lot of people around my age is they're making the difficult decision. And they're like in their late thirties, you know, 40 mm-hmm. years old, they've been in this career for 15 plus years, you know, 10, whatever, 15 years. And they're like, I need to support my family. Like, and I, I need yeah. to see that there's going to be an increase over time to meet inflation. Cause where we're at now, it's just going to keep going up over time and the way colleges cost and everything. So, you know, I know there was a Congress person who just passed or just uh, promoted a bill, proposed a bill in Congress to set a minimum wage for teacher salaries at Um, Mm 60,000. So getting aid from the federal level, of course, I think it needs to be tiered because each state's different. So like, that minimum in like, say a Southern state would be very different than say New Jersey, New York, or even Pennsylvania. Right. right. Cause like the taxes and everything else is just dramatically different. But I mean, I, I'm in a, a more comfortable position in New Jersey, but you know, I've worked in places where if, and I don't have kids now, but like, if I did, it would be really hard and you have to make those difficult decisions for your family. And you really care about your career, but your family's going to be your priority.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it uh, has to change. Well, right. And I, I have colleagues who kind of joke about like, well, thank God my spouse is in this career or yeah. um something to that effect. And I just don't think, I mean, I understand people making jokes about their reality, but I don't think to be a teacher, you should have to rely on a spouse for right. financial um, I guess just like to be able to be comfortable financially mm-hmm. and be able to like make ends meet and especially because teachers are a lot of times women I think that is also really nuanced like mm-hmm. we shouldn't be feeling like oh thank god my husband or boyfriend is mm-hmm. in a different line of work because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do this like that's just mm-hmm. not right and I also think it's something that made me another thing that made me really think about teaching because I was like oh I know that the salary is low and I don't know like do I want to feel like I'm relying on anyone else mm-hmm. like I've always felt pretty like independent mm-hmm. so um, am I like not being a feminist if I'm <laughs> if yeah. I'm a teacher basically right, um, right. but really it's, it is a challenging career and it's um, mm-hmm. it has dignity and it's meaningful and it's yep. I think it's very like technical, time-consuming. Mm-hmm. You need to work hard. So people shouldn't feel like they can't um, have a professional life and be able to support themselves as teachers because it, it is a lot of work.
0: Yeah. And most teachers today, like yourself, have advanced degrees. I know a lot of friends of mine in other industries that don't even have advanced degrees some night don't even have a degree and they're they're doing really well like if they were went into a trade or something else so I think having these conversations and I've been having this a lot on the show and just been hearing it thank goodness more in the media being talked about is that this is it's a profession that's up there with other you know respected professions like lawyers and scientists and doctors like I would love to see more educators in the government you know yeah. I, mean, I don't want to run for office, at least right now. But um, but I would love to see more <laughs> educators in the government because they really come from a place of being a public public servant and knowing like what communities need. That's what they do every day. Mm-hmm. But it needs to be placed at that status. And it is in other countries. So um, right. again, right. I like to think we're in a time where that shift will be occurring because we're seeing many people leave or you know, start to open up and talk about these concerns. And I like the point you did make about parent, uh, parents, uh, guardians, you know, the people at home who are taking care of the children and that relationship with teachers and the school. I think there needs to be a lot more like sense of mm-hmm. community. And maybe that looks like the school uh, creating a program where you're inviting parents in and you are telling them about the curriculum. You are giving like a forum where they can ask questions. You're Mm -hmm. creating a safe place where we can have dialogue between teachers and parent guardians. So if you have concerns, or maybe you just don't really understand, you know, what, why we're teaching this, like, let's, let's have that conversation. Let's talk about it. Cause on both sides, teachers feel that there's pushback and they Mm -hmm. see themselves as I'm the expert, not only in a content area, but in child development right and pedagogy so like mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing and then on the teacher's perspective there are the parents that are thinking but nobody's telling us anything nobody's like sharing yeah. anything with us and we're just in the dark and though they got a little glimpse of what kind of was being taught when it was virtual and then that's when parents started raising concerns because they're like, oh I didn't know this is what was going on and so I think yeah. that could be another opening. Of let's have more transparency and relationship building and truly bring those um parent guardians into our schools and not just for back to school night, right? Like yes. and parent conferences, yeah. like, not two times out of the year. They need mm-hmm. to maybe there needs to really be this sense of you know, um community forum of conversations. And that's hard to do. Right. I know a lot of people are like, I'm not ready for that, but <laughs> I think it would help.
1: Yeah. I mean. I know at my school, we have some pretty good parent partnership programs, Um, but I just think if we had strong relationships with more of the families, then that kind of takes people off the defense of like, like you were saying, teachers thinking like, well, I'm the expert. You should trust me. You're not respecting me. And then parents thinking like, well, we're so in the dark. I think if you genuinely have a connection, people are more willing to put their guard down and say like, hey, where are you coming from? This is where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Let's figure it out. Um, and people are more likely to realize like we are all just trying to do the best for these kids. And maybe um we're thinking about that happening in different ways, but we yeah. have essentially like similar end goals. Um, but that's hard to mm-hmm. do when you again just talk to parents through conferences or back right. to school night. Like that relationship mm-hmm. isn't there for you to kind of put the guard down and make it a Genuine conversation where you're not battling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it could happen. It can happen over time. But, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: one thing I like to see coming out of this pandemic is we're not just going back to 2019. <laughs> we have yes. to learn from this time period. I think we can see some silver linings, right? And we're having these conversations, and I'm seeing more people have you know, in all kinds of industries, in social justice, in healthcare, right? Policing, all of these things are now being talked about, Mm -hmm. where I think for a long time, they were kind of just being pushed under the rug. So we might just Mm -hmm. hopefully be at the beginning stage of that, and it will be better in the future.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we hope so, right?
0: (laughs) Well, I really appreciate having you on, Lauren, and this has been a great reunion and just great yeah. to hear about your background and why you went into teaching and hear about your early experiences. And I think you're a great motivator mm-hmm. for a young teacher. So thank you for being on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. It was great to just connect again and, you know, talk beyond like the AP psych days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much and have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.